This is Ham College, episode 53 for May 31st, 2019. Ham College is brought to you by ICOM. Contest from home or remotely and create your own band opening with ICOM's newest SDR transceiver, the IC9700. And by hamstudy.org, a great way to study for your next license exam. to another episode of Ham College. I'm Professor Thomas. And I'm Dean Martin. And we've got theme music playing in the background. That was a new thing. Did you see that? I didn't ask him, Mill, or he would have nixed it because well, of cost reasons. But Yeah. Well, I thought something was wrong. I didn't realize you did that. I did. Well, I don't know how it worked out, so I guess we'll find out when I go to edit it. Well, it probably would have been fine if I hadn't have said something through the middle of it. Could have been. Well, we've got, uh, I don't think these are too tough tonight. No, I haven't really looked through them too much, so we'll, we'll see. It's going to be a surprise. I just did a kind of a quick glance at a couple of the topics, but I haven't really had a chance to look at it. Yeah, they're, I don't think they're too bad now. You may, you may have a different opinion, but we won't find that out until we actually get into them here. We just got back from Dayton Hamvention. Boy, what a what a fun time at Dayton. Yeah, we did. Year. It was great. Uh, weather cooperated, except for the first day. It had a little bit of rain in the morning, but yep. I don't think it rained anymore at the Hamfest. Right. After that. And so little little mud on the ground the first day in certain areas, but it wasn't as bad as uh, has been in years past. And then after that, it, it was dry. Mm -hmm. A little warm, but, you know, that's... That's summer. In yeah, it's to be expected. Yeah. Of course, you never know. It could be cold. I remember one time wearing a coat around there. I do, too. Yeah, I remember snow, mm -hmm. a little bit of snow one year. Yeah, but uh, it was nice. I had and a great time, like usual. And I guess you saw online where there was a tornado like a week oh, after we were oh, there. Yeah, I did. That was unbelievable. And uh Tore the roof and a little bit of the sodding off the old Harrow Arena there. Mm -hmm. So, well, I think they were going to demolish it anyway, so maybe it helped them a little. Well, I had read something where they were uh, in the process of selling it to somebody else who was going to restore it. Oh, wow. Oh, so, that's a shame, but, you know, th there's been so many things said about that building over the years about the upcoming upgrades and restorations and such. Oh, that yeah. Never really. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's kind of a little bit of a mixed bag for me. I like the new place. It, okay, it's a lot of room. It, mm -hmm. It's worked out pretty well, but still something was still a little nostalgic about the old one. Well, it was. You know, one thing about the old one is you were all kind of like herded together into these little hallways that you had to navigate. Mm -hmm. And so you'd see almost everybody yeah. there at, at least once or twice. Yeah. That's right. So I, I know there's there were people at this one 
that I didn't see. Yeah. I know for a fact they were there, and, and we were there the entire time, and that we never crossed the paths. So. Yeah, it's because it's, it's more spread out, and the <clears throat> positive thing about that is when you're trying to get to a booth, you can probably get there. Yeah, the bad thing is it's more spread out, and the good thing is it's more it's spread, more spread out. out. Yeah, I'd have to agree. Yeah. <laughs> there were some good things there this year. I picked up a few. We're not going to talk about them tonight. I'm going to save them for the next Amateur Logic, which will be... The 14th? 14th of June, so okay. Friday the 14th of June, 8 p.m. Central Time, whatever that works out to that UTC. Works. Yeah, roughly a couple of weeks on Friday night. Yeah. So UTC, that's 0100 UTC. Okay. Yeah. You know, I could set that clock right there for UTC instead of CDT. Yeah, that might be good. This is the official clock. The MFJ LCD clock here, like everyone has, that's got a 24-hour display on it. We got it sitting right here so we can see exactly what time we're doing the show, and then we pay no attention to that. Pretty much. So, <laughs> But it yeah. is there if we want to. Yeah. We, it could happen. Well, while we were at Hamvention, we shot an interview here and got some some updated details from uh, somebody you should know. Oh, yeah, definitely. Walking around Dayton here, we ran into Richard Bateman from hamstudy.org. How's it going, Richard? Going great, Tommy. Good to see you. Yeah, so uh, you guys have been sponsored with us for Ham College for a good while. Really appreciate that. We appreciate your support. It's uh here trying to support the community, uh, trying to improve the way that we study, be a little more efficient. So uh, what, for the ones that aren't familiar with it, you want to kind of give a quick overview about what sets you, your study guide apart from some of the others and maybe show us anything you got new? Absolutely. So uh, with hamstudy.org, the main thing that we've focused on is trying to provide them with uh, focused study tools. So instead of just taking practice exams, a lot of people may not realize this, if, you if you're just taking practice exams that are completely random, like most websites have, it takes an average of about 88 uh, text, uh, exams before you've seen every question in the pool just once. That's setting aside any questions that you may have not even needed to study, and that's setting aside the uh, you know, duplicates that you see every time. Um, on average, you're going to see one to three duplicates from one exam to the next. This is a very inefficient way. It's not that it's not a useful tool. It's that it's to, in, in our world, it's not a study mode. It's a benchmark tool. So what we've got here is we've got your study progress graph, where you can see this tall bar is the percentage of each portion of the pool that you've seen. And this blue is your aptitude, which is basically a weighted average of the last four times you've seen each question. So it gives you a, a, just a quick overview of this is how much of the question pool I've seen so far, this is how well I know it. And then when we quiz you, it's going to select from the questions that you most need to see. So first ones that you haven't seen before, ones that you haven't answered, maybe you hit I don't know so you could just see the answer. Uh, and then it's going to work through all of the ones that you need and you know, repeating back ones that you may have guessed right the first time earlier, once that's the one that you need to see the most, until you've actually seen all of the pool. Uh, we've also got some features where you can select just a portion of the pool. This is especially useful if you are uh, studying with a book or with a course, and they say, okay, here's the sub-elements or sections that I've gone through. Uh, there's even the, a custom mode where you can come in and, and select just parts of the uh, 
you know, parts of the pool that you want those questions to be selected from. So it's very flexible that way and very intelligent about what questions it shows you and how it lets you study. And we feel like we've done a pretty good job in, of, of providing the tools that a student needs in order to study. So, you know, we've also got, uh, you can read the questions, whether you want to see uh, all of the answers or only the correct answers, you know, just for skimming through. We've got explanations that our wonderful users have contributed to help with understanding, so it's not just rote memorization. Um, and we've got practice exams, of course, but our practice exams are more geared on showing you where you're missing the most questions. Now, if anyone's wondering what happens when you take practice exams without actually reading the questions, this is what you can expect. Uh, about what we get when you're, when you're demoing an app over and over again, you don't have time to actually think about it. But you can see that you've missed the most questions here on Sublimit T1. That's a place that, that uh, if this were a real exam, you'd want to spend studying that's going to help you most on this exam. So that's kind of what our focus is on the student side. One thing that we've just barely added that we are super stoked about is this new area here. Right now it's called collaboration. We may change that name to sharing, which is, this is still a very new feature. It's been on the App Store literally for three days. Um, you can share your progress now with another user. So with your Elmer, with your instructor, or even just with each other in a group of friends. And then, uh, so uh, my friend Norm Goodkin in California has kindly shared some of his students' progress with me uh, on a class that he's working through. Let's see if I can find one that's got some good data. Um, this is actually a, kind of a useful example here. We can see that this person has not been studying. And uh, this is one of the students that he needs to contact and say, hey, what's going on? Um, but uh, if we get into one of the ones that has some data, with this one, you can start get, getting a little bit of a story. This student has seen all of the questions in the pool. And this student has been taking a lot of practice exams, but it's kind of been leveled out. So it's going up and down, but it's not, you, you don't see any consistent improvement. And uh, that information allowed him to go talk to the student and discover that, and this is actually a young lady, I believe, if I remember correctly, discover that that she was not told that she needed to go and review the questions after taking an exam, and she wasn't using her study mode correctly. And so it gave him the feedback as a teacher that he needed in order to, uh, in order to go back and, and work with her, and we expect that, that things will improve. Now, we also have the sub-element you know, statistics map, and then you can also narrow into a specific sub-element uh, and see the sections, the statistics on the sections. We show what the, the the strongest sections and sub-elements are and the weakest sections and sub-elements. So like with T6A, you might want to go in here and you can see that her aptitude on this section is particularly low. Now I've gone in and looked and T6A is electrical components, capacitors, inductors. Um, that's clearly an area that she just does not understand, uh, which you know probably not uncommon for a 12-year-old. So uh, that, that gives the teacher a clue on this is something that I need to go over with my class. Um, we've got a lot of theories on how well this is going to work. We've got a lot of plans for things to add, uh, but we're really excited for people to start using this and start hearing all about all the things that don't work on it so we can figure out what we need to improve. Okay. So. Yeah, well, that's awesome. Uh, I want to touch on something. You, you mentioned uh, Teacher, teacher, but but it's also a useful tool for individual study as well, if, if not, not in the classroom type environment, right? 
Oh, absolutely. Uh, the teacher stuff is the newest stuff that we're most excited about, but uh, we created this initially to be a tool to help individuals to learn the question pools and to, and to study. And of course, with those explanations that we showed, so we're not just memorizing, that's a, a criticism that people give often. And we don't claim that this currently replaces an instructional tool, but it's a great supplement to any instructional tool, whether that's uh, you know, Dave Kassler's YouTube videos or some other uh, online video course. Uh, I've, I've worked with Ham Radio Cr Crash Course a lot, and, and uh, a lot of their users use hamstudy.org as well. Um, the, you know, you can use the Gordon West books, the ARRL books, uh, any of the newer, there have been some other uh, smaller publishers that are starting to come out with some actually very impressive resources. Uh, any of those books, that are you know based around the ham radio question pool, which they all have to be at least to some extent, you can use this in order to study as you're working with those. And some of our users, especially with some electronic background, have even found that just the explanations are enough that they're able to learn what they need to get their license and, and, and operate effectively. Awesome. So um, the, the website is still free, right? But the, there's an app that's more centered around the, the teacher environment, and that's in the App Store for iOS and Android, correct? That's correct. And this is uh, partially by spons sponsored by ICOM. We'd, we'd definitely like to publicly acknowledge and thank them for their uh, support. But uh, we have the, the website will always be free, and it will always have at least the basic study tools. In fact, even with this teacher environment, while the uh, the dashboard to view the data is only available on the app, which is $3.99. It's available for iOS, Android. Uh, it will be on the Windows Store as soon as they finish reviewing it, and uh, Mac. Um, and we may be expanding that to some other platforms, we hope. But uh, the students can be just on the free website, and uh, and we're even we're, we're committed even on the ones that cost, we're going to keep the, the cost way low. And that's, I mean, all of the question pools, anytime a new pool comes out, the general pool just came out, people who've had the app for a while were just, as soon as we made it visible, it appeared there. If they were connected to the internet, they could download it. All updates are free. Everything is, uh, you know, once you buy it, it's there. You can use it. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to, to show us what's new and uh, providing a great service to the amateur radio community. It's a, it's a great tool. We get a lot of positive feedback about it. It's good awesome. to see you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, appreciate it. They've been doing, obviously, as you see, a lot of work on the software. Yeah. Um, so that's some, some cool tools. Yeah. It, it would be real handy if I was instructing a class like right hold now. On, hey, hold on just a minute. <laughs> yeah. Well, we, we, I don't know that we can get these guys. Most of the ones I see in the chat room have, a lot of them have call signs already. So, um we may not be able to get them to retake their exams. Well, some of them are probably just technicians so far. Well, could be. So I don't, shouldn't, shouldn't say just. Yeah. Some of them are technicians, and probably, hopefully they're here to, some of them are here to upgrade, yeah. I hope. But uh, a lot of folks that watch the show, uh, particularly the recorded version, are, are not amateurs yet. And Absolutely. So. But we're making more all the time with the uh, Arnie posted a comment earlier I think uh, somebody watched it and uh, I guess they had enough encouragement they passed their test up in uh, Columbus area I saw that and we uh, I actually sat in on an exam session this afternoon and uh, we we had one guy took his general that had a perfect score on it do you wear your ham college sweatshirt in there no I wore this one right here I should have worn the ham college one but it's a little warm 
It, yeah, it would have. It's just about <laughs> 95 warm. degrees here yeah. today. So, anyway, go check out hamstudy.org if you're studying, or uh, the new portions there if you are an Elmer or are teaching a class. It, it should be a big help to kind of zero in on where people need help. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Great tools there. So, I tell you what, I've got some questions here. Oh, it's about that time. Huh? It's about that time. And, All and right, one thing, Emil, get the buzzer out, man. We want to mention we're going to be checking over here in the chat room to see what folks are saying are the correct answers. Emil said we couldn't get any batteries for the buzzer this time, so we had to get all correct answers, but I slipped the ones out of the TV remote. Oh, okay, so we can. Put them back later before my wife wants to change the channel. We can miss one if we have one. If, if we, we have to. If we have to. Okay. All right, so uh, if you're watching live, go to the chat room, amateurlogic.tv slash chat. Yeah. We don't use the chat room that's embedded into YouTube. We use this separate one here because it's, well, we can't really watch two at the same time. So. Sometimes hard to watch one. Yep. But uh, there's a good group of folks in the, in the chat rooms. If you're watching the live stream and you're not in the chat, you're missing half the fun. Mm -hmm. I would say if you're watching it, they won't steer you wrong. But then I'm not sure that they wouldn't just uh, <laughs> <laughs> as a joke. No, uh, a good, good bunch of folks in there. All right, well, let's get on into the questions here. Let's do a, a random <clears throat> flip of the coin. Who won the toss? Uh, you did. Okay. So what does that mean? That means you get to choose who goes first. Oh. Well, I'll ask you this one. Okay. It's probably the so easiest So I get to one. receive. You get to receive, yes. There you go. What is a microprocessor? These are going to be kind of like solid state and digital type questions. Okay. What is a microprocessor? A, a low-powered analog signal processor used as a microwave detector. B, a computer on a single integrated circuit. C, a microwave detector, amplifier, and local oscillator on a single integrated circuit. Or D, low-voltage amplifier used in a microwave transmitter modulator stage. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, it's overwhelming in the chat room but yeah it's like well, yeah this is this is a pretty easy question uh, most people familiar with uh, co any computer technology at all probably get this one right i would think yeah. um so anyway it's uh it's not a low power analog or signal analog signal processor uses microwave detector that's that's not um it's it's going to be b bravo a computer on a single integrated circuit. Um, so that's uh, like an Arduino, um, a lot of things microprocessors or have microprocessors in them. Mm -hmm. um, so anyway, it's not a microwave detector or amplifier. It's not a low voltage amplifier. It's just basically a little mini computer. Yeah, it's not really anything to do with the microwave at all. No. So. Only just because it's got the prefix of micro on there. Yep. I think they're trying to mess with people's minds. Oh, it was a trick question. It's a trick question. It tricked me. I never saw it coming. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's see. I'm going to agree with you. And, and you know, it's 100% in the chat room over there. You got it, Dino. All 
right. Next one. What is meant by the term MMIC? A. Multi-megabyte integrated circuit. B. Monolithic microwave integrated circuit. C. Military manufactured integrated circuit. Or D. Mode modulated integrated circuit. Well, see, I'm glad you got this one because I think I will have to guess this one. What is meant by the term MMC? MMIC. MMIC. Yeah, that could make a difference, couldn't it? Well, I'm going to start at the bottom. It's not mode modulated integrated circuit. I don't think there's such a thing as that. And I don't think it's C. The military doesn't manufacture integrated circuits. Not that we know of. Not that we know of. Except for that Skynet project. And I don't think it's A, multi-megabyte integrated circuits. It must be monolithic microwave integrated circuit. That that would be my uh, best guess there at it. And well, that's that's what they're all saying in the chat. Yeah, room. and that would have been mine too. But I would have had to narrow it down the same way you just did because I'm not uh, totally sure exactly what that stands for or what that means. Monolithic microwave integrated circuit. Right, I'll give you one of those. There you go. Moving right along here. Yeah, we are. We're in high speed. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of device is an integrated circuit operational amplifier? Is it A, digital? B, MMIC? C, programmable logic? Or D, analog? What kind of device is an integrated circuit operational amplifier? That's an op-amp. Mm-hmm. That's going to be an analog device, I think. Yeah, that's got to be an analog device. Um, digital? I don't think it's digital. MMIC, it's not a military manufactured integrated circuit. No. <laughs> <laughs> so we do, we we know, do that. know that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's not uh, monolithic. I don't know what that is. I don't think that's what it is. I'm pretty sure it's going to be D analog. Well, I, along with everyone in the chat room, agrees with okay. you. Okay. So, see there, Emil, we are conserving batteries on the <clears throat> buzzer tonight. Yeah, and I've got to get those back home and put them in my wife's remote control before she finds out I took them out. You don't think she's going to want to change the channel before you I get hope, back? I hope not. <laughs> okay. Okay, which of the following is an analog integrated circuit? A, a NAND gate. B, a microprocessor. C, a frequency counter. Or D, a linear voltage regulator. Well, analog integrated circuit. All right. Well, a NAND gate, that's a negative AND gate, that is, uh, that's a digital circuit. Yeah, it can a, only... Yeah, it's a bitwise. Yeah, it can only be a one or a zero on that. Uh, same thing with a microprocessor. That's a digital circuit. Mm -hmm. uh, C, a frequency counter. That's a digital operation, so linear voltage regulator, 
That's actually an analog integrated circuit there because it's, it's doing it linearly. It's not doing it in a step of either 0 or a 1. Mm -hmm. uh, it's got to be D. Got to be. And D. 100% in the chat room on that. I feel good about my answer. I didn't even have to phone a friend or anything. No. It was just a lifeline. Just right there. Way to go. Which of the following is an advantage of using the binary system when processing digital signals? A. Binary ones and zeros are easy to represent by an on and an off state. B. The binary number system is most accurate. C. Binary numbers are more compatible with analog circuitry. Or D. All of these choices are correct. Okay. First of all, I'm thinking D is not, they're not all correct because I saw some I know that are not. Binary numbers are more compatible with analog circuitry. That's kind of like an oxymoron. <laughs> yeah. that, that's, not, that's not a true statement by any stretch of the imagination. Binary number system is most accurate. Uh, I don't think it's really more accurate. So... The A, the binary ones and zeros are easy to represent by an on or off state, and that, that's definitely going to be it. A is the answer. Uh, we actually covered that when we were looking at some of the, uh, the RIDI and the PSK stuff um, yeah. earlier on, uh, several, several months back. So it's a lot easier to, uh, to send the binary, basically binary strings by yeah. talking on and off as a one or a zero. That's what they're all saying over in the chat room as well. They're doing really good tonight. Yeah, they're on fire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. Okay, well, um, let's go to the next one then. Okay. Oh, uh-oh. I'm glad you got this one too. I've got an idea, but what is a shift register? A... A clocked array of circuits that passes data in steps along the array. B, an array of operational amplifiers used for tri-state arithmetic operations. C, a digital mixer. Or D, an analog mixer. And I guess when I said arithmetic, I could have said arithmetic, huh? Could have. <laughs> that would have worked too, wouldn't it? But that was the Mississippi Mississippi version. Now, I actually got the term arithmetic from Gordo, I think. Oh, really? I don't know if he was using it correct, but I mean, I think that's where I heard that. Uh, a shift register. All right, I know for a fact that that is a digital type of uh, circuit. Mm -hmm. So it's not an analog mixer. Um, I don't think it's a digital mixer because it's not mixing things together. Uh, B, an array of operational amplifiers. Well, right, right there, that disqualifies it because an operational amplifier, as we know, is an analog device. Mm -hmm. So that only leaves what uh, the real answer is, a clocked array of circuits that passes data in steps along the array. I'm going to say it's A. I'm going to concur. That's what they're all saying over in the chat room. 
Hey. Tell you us know. tell us, Dean, what what exactly can you do with the shift register? Well, it's commonly used for serial to parallel converters. So if you had serial data coming in, you could run it through a shift register and decode it into a parallel Right. Stream. Now, by li very limited understanding is uh, the ones or zeros mm -hmm. come in, however long the shift register is, say it's got four, mm -hmm. four stages or whatever. So the one or the zero will come in, and I guess after, it's, and it's all in the same clock cycle. So this one will come in. Next clock cycle, that one will move to over one. The next one will come in until it fills up. So that's the way that serial data would be. It would be one bit followed by the next one. Yeah, and then the, and then you would read it out parallel, so you could read out the whole a word or D word or however yeah. uh, however long your shift register is. It's a pretty handy that's, device. Yeah, that, that's that's my limited understanding on it. It's been a long time since I looked at any of that bitwise stuff like that. Uh, yeah, me too. I, I I'm pretty sure you're correct about that. That. That is kind of the way that it functions. Yeah, and I'm sure it's a lot more to it than that, but uh, that's just my limited knowledge on the subject. Yeah, in computer programming, they would it would be the same as doing a shift left or a shift right command, mm -hmm. basically. But uh, hey, we can do it in an integrated circuit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Pretty neat stuff. Which of the following is an advantage of an LED indicator compared to an incandescent indicator? A, lower power consumption. B, faster response time. C, longer life. Or D, all of these choices are correct. Hmm. What are the advantages of an LED compared to incandescent? Low power consumption, that's definitely, LEDs use, draw less current than uh, incandescent lights. Yeah. Faster response time, they're, they're very fast. So. Um, anyway, that's how you use a uh, pulse width modulation to, to simulate the brightness to do, on it. So it has to, to switch on yeah. and off uh, yeah. very quickly to be able to do that. Uh, longer life, I know typically they last a, a extremely long time. So I'm thinking it's D. All these choices are correct. Well, I'm inclined to agree with you as everyone in the chat room. Let's see. There you go. And, you know, it's really... Well, LEDs have been with us a long time now. We really haven't had any really bright ones, though. And we really didn't have any blue ones till a few years ago. Oh, yeah. Um, but uh, the really bright ones are here now. And I want you to notice when you leave the studio here tonight how much brighter it is out there in the driveway. Oh, you putting new LED bulbs in? Well, you know, I had that uh, one, <clears throat> I think it's, uh, I can't remember what kind of bulb that is. Maybe a sodium? Uh, it's 175 watt. It's like a street light. Uh huh. You know, I had it mounted on the yeah. eve of the house. Yeah, that's the one that the lizards were always drawn to. Right. 175 watts. The photo sensor on top went bad again. This is like, it seemed like I can't hardly get a year out of it before the photo sensor's out in it and it's coming on too early. So I went to buy another one, and I said, you know, um, maybe I ought to change over to an LED because it's going to be less power consumption, and I hope it's bright enough. And I kind of looked at the 
lumens on it and it, uh, the lumens on a regular you know mm -hmm. 175 watt and it was actually just slightly more mm -hmm. it was it was a hundred bucks now you know it wasn't oh, cheap yeah they're not cheap but uh, I put that thing up and man 45 watts no I think it's 40 watts as compared to 175 so a lot less power consumption and it's much brighter out there too oh yeah so I'm, I'm thinking about swapping my studio lights out like yours that mm -hmm. have these uh, daylight balance fluorescents in there with some LEDs maybe you should swap these out too because it gets pretty warm in here and although fluorescents don't put out much heat they put out more than an LED oh yeah yeah no doubt so, so I can get for a 60 watt I can, I can get a 60 watt adjustable light Mm -hmm. And it's going to put out more than the hundred bulbs that I've got up in the in my fixtures already. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see with it being adjustable if you know when you you're doing the pulse width modulation if you hit a speed that you can see it flickering. Yeah, they're, they're supposed to not really have a speaker for, uh, a speaker a speaker speaker problem flicker problem unless you uh, shoot at 120 frames per second. I think we've got another one on LEDs. Why don't you ask me one? Okay. I think I will. How about this one? How is an LED biased when emitting light? A, beyond cutoff. B, at the zener voltage. C, reverse biased. Or D, forward biased. How is an LED biased when emitting light? Hmm. Okay. What is bias? Bias? That is, uh, that's a good question. I'm not sure I'm ready to explain right okay. now. Okay, well, I'm just thinking it might help well, somebody it, to reason it, out the answer. It might would, yeah. But let me just say, a bias is a voltage uh, that you apply to something to kind of get it started behaving the way you want. I'm not sure that's the, the proper way to explain that. But I know somebody with a co computer in Google who could look it up. Well, Tom um, says it's turn-on voltage. Uh, yeah. Yep. So, how is an LED biased when emitting light? Okay, LED. That stands for light emitting diode. Mm-hmm. And we know that on a diode, current can only flow in one direction. Mm -hmm. It flows in a forward direction. So uh, beyond cutoff might sound like a proper answer, but uh, no, it's not. At the zener voltage, well, that would seem to indicate once you hit a certain voltage, it starts, uh, it, it turns on, but uh, yeah, that's not exactly right either. Reversed biased. That means you'd put the voltage to it backwards. Well, we'll get nothing out of it then. But that doesn't even really make sense. Well, we know if we've biased <clears throat> it forward in the right direction that we will get a light out of it. So that is, uh, that's the answer I'm going with is uh, D, forward biased. That makes sense. That's what everybody's saying in the chat room. Nailed forward it. biased. Okay. Now, I've got one more question for you. Uh-oh. 
and then we're going to take a little break. All right, put but, the batteries I, in the buzzer, man. Yeah, I have a good one for you. This okay. is what I've been saving especially for you. Which of the following is a characteristic of a liquid crystal display? A, it requires ambient or backlighting. B, it offers a wide dynamic range. C, it has a wide viewing angle. Or D, all these choices are correct. Well, I don't think it's D. And, well, a liquid crystal display, that's actually what this clock is. Mm-hmm. Well, if you can see it. Anyway, so that's liquid crystal display. Um, it's not a wide dynamic range. It's basically on and off on this one. Um, yep. So that's just two colors, black and white. Mm-hmm. Um, it does have a fairly wide viewing angle, or at least that one does. That one does, but a lot of them Some don't. of them don't. Yeah. So the, it's going to be A, requires ambient or backlighting, and that's because there's no light generated from the liquid crystal display. That's Sometimes it has a reflective surface behind mm -hmm. it, just like this, and sometimes, well, there's a night light on it that'll light it from behind so you can see. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be A. It requires ambient or backlighting. Um, I believe I'll agree with you on that one. Everybody else does, so uh, I think you're right. Hey, it requires ambient or backlighting. And, you know, that's the reason that we've got LCDs on most newer mobile rigs mm -hmm. is because uh, outdoors, uh, in the daylight, some of the old ones that had LED displays, oh, yeah. you couldn't see them in They're the daylight. Really difficult to see. Yeah. So um, the LCDs actually work out better for that. Mm -hmm. So They're cool. Let's take a little break. Uh, get a message from our sponsor about well about a new radio they've got, and we'll come back and we may even give away something. Sounds good. Contest from home or remotely and create your own band opening with ICOM's newest SDR transceiver, the IC9700. Bring in direct sampling to the UHF-VHF weak signal market, the IC9700 all-mode transceiver is loaded with innovative features. Dedicated amateur satellite operation, color touchscreen, D-Star capability built-in, RF direct sampling on the 2-meter and 70-centimeter bands, dual independent receivers capable of full duplex operation as well as dual watch, and 100 watts max output power on 2 meters, 75 watts max on 70 centimeters, and 10 watts max on 1.2 gigahertz. The IC7610 is the SDR every ham wants. This high-performance SDR has the ability to pick out the faintest signals even in the presence of stronger adjacent signals. The ICOM IC7610 is a direct sampling software-defined radio that will change the world's definition of a SDR radio. RF direct sampling, 110 dBm RMDR independent dual receivers, and dual digicell. The IC7300 is changing the way entry-level HF is designed. This high-performance, innovative HF transceiver with a compact design will far exceed your expectations. 
RF direct sampling, 15 discrete bandpass filters, large 4.3-inch color touchscreen, real-time spectrum scope, and SD memory card slot. Visit icomamerica.com amateur for more information on all the great ICOM radios. And don't forget to be ham active in June. Participate in both the June VHF contest as well as field day. Submit your logs and see how you did in the pileup. Incidentally, we were talking about uh, Dayton. We mm -hmm. actually met the guy in person that, that created did, that the, background did the background here. That was here. pretty awesome. He saw us sitting there right before we left and came up and... Uh, Jeff Murray. Yeah, he did an awesome job on that. Uh, anyway, thanks again for doing that, Jeff. But uh, it was a pleasure to meet you if, if you're watching. Yeah, it was right at the end of Hamvention. We just happened to, to yeah. run across yeah, it. Yeah, it was very cool. That's all right. I threw us off. Why don't we give that away? We were already off. Why don't we I give mean, away a hat and a T-shirt? You know, I think that's an excellent idea. If I wanted to win a hat and a T-shirt, well, first, what <coughs> kind of hat have you got there? Well, I've got an icon, nice icon. Uh, ball cap here, courtesy of Icon America, mm -hmm. and I've also got a T-shirt right here. I'll have to take it off. Yeah, pull it off. Let us have a closer yeah, look at it. I don't think it. you really want me to do that. <laughs> but uh, it's the Ham Crew T-shirt. It's got the same thing on the back. I'm guessing you can see that. It yeah. does on the yeah. front. And uh, I'll uh, wash it before we ship it out. <laughs> no, we'll get one <laughs> of your size, whatever size you want. We'll get you a new one. Yeah, actually, this one's mine. And um, whatever else Jesse <coughs> sticks in the box. Yeah, usually puts a bunch of good stuff in there. So uh, no telling what, what else you'll end up with. Yeah, how so. Have, how do you get one? How do you get one? I, I don't have a clue. How would you well, get you, one? It's a, it's a really stringent process. You have to have a couple of things. you got to have a name. I got you've got that. to have an email address. I got that. You don't have to be a ham, anything. You just need to send us an email to hamcollege at amateurlogic.tv, which is on the screen right now. And that's that's actually all you've got to do. And uh, your name will go into the drawing. We'll pick the winner. And if you win, uh, ICOM will contact you and we'll throw away your email address and everything afterwards. We don't keep it and give it to anybody. Yeah, so you need to re-enter each month, too. Yep, you will need to re-enter. Mm -hmm. If you didn't win this month, you still want to, to win the cool shirt and the, and the cap, send another email in. It's free, and you'll go right back into the drawing. And I drew a random number before the show tonight, and we got a winner. It is Dan Lott, KF5TQN. Dan's from down in Baton Rouge. Oh. And congratulations, Dan. Yeah, congratulations. Uh, ICOM will be in touch with you pretty very quickly and uh, and get your size information and get your stuff sent out to you. Yep. And congratulations. Uh, so thanks, Dan, for entering. And everyone else, good luck in the contest. What was the call sign? It is KF5TQN. I, I don't know if he's in the chat room. Mm, we have no, had that happen. Uh, yeah, People I don't, I don't think so. In the chat room. I was actually. hoping we were going to get lucky. Yeah. It's going to be in there. So. Yeah. Not tonight. So uh, after the show tonight, go register. Back into our our remaining questions for tonight. These we're going to change subject on a little bit. You know, we were talking about standing waves mm -hmm. in the last episode. We've got a few more questions that kind of deal with that. And let's see, I think you answered the last one, so you can ask me this one. Okay. 
Which of the following is a common way to adjust the feed point impedance of a quarter wave ground plane vertical antenna to be approximately 50 ohms? A. Slope the radials upward. B. Slope the radials downward. C. Lengthen the radials. Or D. Shorten the radials. Which of the following is a common way to adjust the feed point impedance of a quarter wave ground plane vertical antenna to be approximately 50 ohms? Well, I happen to know the answer to this one because I remember doing it before. One of the first projects that um, a lot of new technicians do uh, because a lot of clubs do this, and, and you should, is build a quarter-wave ground plane. It's very simple to do. All you need is a little copper wire, or you really don't have to have copper wire, just some kind of metal, but most of them they use copper wire and a SO239 connector. Mm -hmm. You put uh, your radiating element up there, and then you put ground radials, uh, generally four of them, coming out from the four corners of that. If you put them out straight, 90 degrees to the radiating element, and you try to measure that, it's not going to be 50 ohms. Mm -hmm. I haven't done it, but I, for some reason I'm thinking it's around 35 ohms, but I, I could be wrong about that. But it's not 50 ohms. You slope them down, and that will raise the impedance of it, and you can you can get it to, to be 50 ohms. And that, that's just a real common way of doing it, which is what they're asking, what's a common way of doing it. So sloping the radials upward, no, I've never seen an antenna with the radials no. pointed up around it. No, me either. Uh, I have seen, you know, I've seen them both with them straight out and with them sloped down. Mm -hmm. So uh, lengthening or shorting the radials that may have some effect on it, but that's not commonly how you would do it. Uh, so um, I'm going to say slope the radials downward, B. What do you think? I think that's right. Every I think we've all built one of those antennas, in the, or a lot of us have in the past. Now, actually, that's a, probably a good, maybe a good amateur logic uh, project coming up. That would be good. We like that in a good while. Yeah, as a, yeah, it's a decade good, or so. Yeah, it's a good starter project for, for people. So yeah, we might do something like that. B, slope the radials downward. Everybody was uh, correct on that in the chat room. If the SWR on an antenna feed line is 5 to 1 and a matching network at the transmitter end of the feed line is adjusted to 1 to 1 SWR, what is the resulting SWR on the feed line? Is it A, 1 to 1? B, 5 to 1? C, between 1 to 1 and 5 to 1, depending on the characteristic impedance of the line? D, between 1 to 1 and 5 to 1, depending on the reflected power at the transmitter. Okay, i got to read this again. A, oh, I'm sorry, if... The SWR on an antenna feed line is 5 to 1 on the feed line. And the matching network at the transmitter end of the feed line 
is adjusted to one-to-one -one SWR, so essentially a tuner. Mm -hmm. What is the resulting SWR on the feed line? Well, that's kind of almost a trick question. It's, if it was on the feed line and you got the tuner by the transmitter, Gonna, Which, this, that's what they're that's, saying, yeah. Yeah, that's, so that's going to make it look like it's a one-to-one -one at the transmitter if you have it tuned right. Mm -hmm. But you're still going to have a five-to-one on the feed line, so just like a, you did. It's a trick. Yeah, it's only making your transmitter happy. It's not yep. really helping your antenna system at all. Mm, not well, well, not much. Yeah, not much, but, yeah. But, yeah, but, but yeah. typically, I mean, you still got the five-to-one yep. on there. So, what do you think the answer is? B, five to one. Five to one. Okay, so you're saying it really didn't change what's on the transmission line at all. No. That's what everybody else is saying, too. Well, there's some smart folks in there tonight. It's not like the usual crowd. <laughs> it is the usual it crowd. It actually is exactly the usual crowd. <laughs> we stump them every now and then, I don't though. remember seeing them there. Yeah. I got this newfangled gadget here. Yeah, I've used it a few times. Yeah. Okay. Next question. What is the effect of the transmission line loss on SWR measured at the input to the line? A, the higher the transmission line loss, the more the SWR will read artificially low. B, the higher the transmission line loss, the more the SWR will read artificially high. C, the higher the transmission line loss, the more accurate the SWR measurement will be. Or D, transmission line loss does not affect the SWR measurement. Let's see, I'm going to have to read that question again because I really wasn't paying attention. <laughs> what is the effect of transmission line loss? on SWR measured at the input of the line. That means right at the transmitter. So the other end of the line is going to have the antenna on it. And I forgot loss in that line. How's it going to affect the SWR measurement? Well, SWR, you know, that's actually being determined. It's a ratio of the forward to reflected power. So the higher the reflected power we got coming back down into our transmitter, the higher the SWR will be. Yep. However, if we've got loss in that line, even though we're reflecting a lot of power back down, it it's going to be attenuated in the line just like the power yeah, that was going forward. You're going to lose some forward. of that as well. So you're going to lose some of the reflected power coming back. That makes sense. So let's read the answers there. The higher the transmission line loss, the more the SWR will read artificially low. I think that's going to be the answer because it, it's not going to make it read higher having loss in it. No, because you're going to lose it. And it's not going to make it more accurate, so C is not right. And uh, D is certainly not right. It will have an effect on what you measure. So uh, I'm going to say A, the higher the transmission line loss, the more SWR will read artificially low. Uh, yeah, that's what they're saying over in the chat room. 
Well, that makes well, that makes sense if you think about it. I mean, it it's only. Mm -hmm. I mean, it does, and and when you get up into longer lengths of line, it can be substantial. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. It can, uh, like, you know, a lot of our transmitter sites have a thousand foot towers with thousand foot of line going up to the antenna. You can't really know for sure just by what your meter's reading there at the transmitter if. You know, if that's really what's what so you do, got they go up back. the tower to measure up no. top. <laughs> they yeah, don't. Well, I don't think so. You just you kind of have to go by what you see on the meter, but it's uh, you can know you that can calculate line loss into yeah, it. Yeah, the long yeah, you can calculate the line loss into it. So um, the longer that line is, the uh, more artificially low it you're going to have on your meter. Interesting. What standing wave ratio will result when connecting a 50 ohm feed line to a non-reactive load having 25 ohms impedance? Is it A, 2 to 1? B, 2.5 to 1? C, 1.25 to 1? Or D, you cannot determine SCBR from impedance values? I don't think it's D. The standard wave ratio result would connect a 50 ohm feed line to a non-reactive load having 25 ohms. Uh, I think it's going to be A, 2 to 1, because 25 ohms goes into 50 twice. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's going to be A, 2 to 1. And that's what they're saying in the chat room. I, I'm going to agree with you. I think it's two to one because. Because what I said. Because of what you said. <laughs> you know, I'm just going along with you here. Okay. But, you know, I'm I'm sure you're. Well, right if I'm driving down the wrong road, you going you going down the wrong road with me. If you're the one driving, yeah, I'm probably, <laughs> and I'm a passenger. No, you're right. Uh, so have you got one like this for me? Sure. Oh, I got one almost identical. What standing wave ratio? But let me start that over again. What standing wave ratio will result in connecting a 50 ohm feed line to a non-reactive load having 200 ohm impedance? A, 4 to 1. B, 1 to 4. C, 2 to 1. Or D, 1 to 2. Okay, this almost seems right to backwards. Instead of my, uh, my load mm -hmm. being half, of what the impedance is of the line, it's four times as much. You would maybe think, wait a minute, that's got to be flipped around. Is that a, a one to a four? But no, it's not. Uh, it's a four to one because 50 will go into 200 four times. Four times. And it's, you've always got the Whatever the, the number on the right-hand side is, is always a 1. And when, when you're doing these ratios for um, SWR here. So it's going to be a 4 to 1, not a 1 to 4. And, of course, it's not a 2 to 1 or, or a 1 to 2 because it's clearly it's divisible by 4 times there. So Yeah, so I think you can, if I remember right, you can always divide... The, the larger number by the lower number, no matter if it's on, if it's at the feed line, 
mm-hmm. or or the uh, the or the uh, yeah the load the load yeah well let's see oh there's some mixture there in the class uh oh we've got A's and B's I knew that it would be one or the other it's it's got to be one or the other there's an E in there also. I'll be and a G. Yep. E, one of the above. No, that's not. <laughs> that's not. The, but he's right. It is one of the above. I'm going to stick with four to one. Yeah, I think you're right. Four to one. That that could almost throw you off there. I mean, uh-huh. you, you would think that when you flip it around like that, that, that you'd say a one to four. But no, it's a, a four to one. Okay. Okay, let's Man, see. We, we seem to be moving, like, really quick tonight. It's because we're good tonight. Yeah, we got no. we just having to draw a bunch we, of easier we, questions. We drew a bunch of easier questions. But it, this is the first one in the chat room, too. They've been 100% all night long. This is the first one I've noticed that there was any dissension among participants. Let's see. Did we got any more? I think maybe we've got a couple Marty's, more here. Marty's finally remembering his Gazentis. Yep. It's in, in Jethro Bodine import. style. Yep. What standing wave ratio will result when connecting a 50-ohm feed line to a non-reactive load having a 10-ohm impedance? Is it A, 2 to 1? B, 50 to 1. C, one to five or d five to one well it's a 10 ohm impedance in a 50 ohm feed line a 50 a 10 ohm load rather so 10 goes into 55 times so it's going to be d five to one i would say you use my logic from the last one to perfectly solve well, I used one. the same logic from the prior one, too. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, they're a little slower answering it this time, but D's are what we're getting in there. I want to agree with you. It's got to be a five to one. And it is. I think maybe we got five to one. You don't really want to talk on that. No, you don't. I think we got maybe one more question. Oh man! So and just sorry. to be a good guy, I'll let you ask me this one. Okay. Uh, well, it's a whole bunch of these the same way. What standing wave ratio will result in connecting a 50 ohm feed line to an antenna that has a purely resistive 300 ohm feed point impedance? A 1.5 to one. B 3 to one. C, 6 to 1. Or D, you cannot determine SWR from impedance values. Well, you can determine SWR from impedance values. That's how you do it. Yep. Um, all right, so we got a 50-ohm feed line and a 300-ohm purely resistive load. So if I divided... 300 by 50, that's going to get, that's going to be 6. The only answer there with the 6 in it is C, 
six to one. Um, so I'm going to go with that. I'm going to say it's going to be six to one. I think you're right, too. This one's worded slightly different, but I think it means the same thing. Well, let's see. They are saying mm, there might be a B in there and some C's. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with my C there. Six yeah. to one. Let's see. Six to one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was worded a little bit different. Now, one thing I will mention here and there, this is not, this may not come up in any of the questions, but in every one of these questions, like this format right here, they've been saying, and the antenna or the load is a purely resistive so many ohms. Mm -hmm. Or they might say non-reactive. Yeah. That means it's a pure resistance. If you had some reactance on that, it, that throws the whole thing out. It's yeah. much more difficult to solve it. But if you're dealing strictly with resistances, then uh, you know, it's pretty much straightforward like that. Are you new to the ham world or an existing amateur operator who wants to take your license to the next level? Study for your radio license exam at hamstudy.org. Hamstudy.org is a free online learning tool powered by ICOM. It was created by Richard Bateman, KD7BBC, Michael Stuffelbean, KV9G, and Rich Porter, KK6GKE, and it uses a modern web design to enhance the experience of studying for your technician, general, and amateur extra exams. Since 2013, hamstudy.org has helped new and existing hams to familiarize themselves with the question pools, use stats-based flashcards to focus on material they need to learn, and take practice exams to gauge progress. Visit hamstudy.org on your desktop computer or mobile device. Register for a free account at hamstudy.org to access personalized study history and other site features. Prepare for an exam in an intuitive and comprehensive manner. Check out hamstudy.org powered by ICOM for free learning tools. Good luck on your next exam. 7-3 everyone, thanks for being here tonight. Join us at the end of next month for another Ham College and the 14th. Yep, June 14th, uh, 8 p.m. Central 1 UTC. Yep. And uh, for the next uh, amateur logic. We'll see you then. And we've got a lot of stuff that we shot at Dayton Hamvention that we'll be covering then. And uh, I think email has another cheap old segment for us, awesome. too. Yeah, we actually got a, a lot of footage. We do. We do. Might be so, a long show. Yeah, maybe. So uh, uh, have your supper, get you something to drink, and bring you a snack so you may be here for a while. <laughs> yep. All right. 73, everybody. Good night. See you next time.